The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. All right, I lied. Let's go back first, Jerry, and talk just for a moment or two about the week that was. What was your impression overall of All-Star Week here in Seattle? Uh, I mean, I, I guess Mother Nature couldn't have cooperated anymore. Gorgeous uh, backdrop beautiful scene at the ballpark for all of the different events and uh, really can't say enough how proud I am of our organization of all the people that were associated with putting the show on and you know our friends from MLB who came in it was pretty awesome and I I think the, the group around us feels proud for what they were able to accomplish really cool what are you what are your responsibilities like during a week like that Truly none. <laughs> I mean, it's a, there's a, we had obviously our, our game schedule is going on through Sunday and throughout we spent, you know, three weeks in general seclusion as we were preparing for the draft, which now goes on simultaneous with, with the all-star week event. So, you know, beginning on Sunday evening and running through uh, late Tuesday afternoon, we had just enough time to leave the draft room and get over to the ballpark for the start of the home run derby and then for the start of the all-star game on Tuesday. So we were, we were in the draft room, you know, finding new Mariners. Well, how, how did that go? I mean, we, we, we I know you got a director of scouting and amateur scouting and all that. How, how much of a role do you have specifically in the selection of the 20 or so players that you guys took? Uh, you know, there may be a little bigger role, certainly a bigger role than I played in, in putting on the all-star game show. But, you know, <laughs> we, uh, you know, Scott Hunter, our director of amateur scouting, does a fantastic job. He's been in this role for seven years. And, you know, our cross-check group, our area scouts just do a fantastic job of, of laying out, presenting players from across the country and, and Canada and, you know, we sit in the room for three weeks and we go through about 700 players and, and carve through the names. And a lot of the role that I play at this stage is, you know, I still do video evaluations and, and we run through favorites, you know, but mostly it's strategic. You know, what are we trying to accomplish in any given draft? You know, what are we looking for in terms of building blocks, the types of skills that we want to build with and, you know, and then trust the scouts to, to find the players that have, that can bring those skills to life. So what was the strategy then with this draft? You know, this draft we, and I think we've talked about it before. I think this draft was as deep in position players, particularly the high school group that we'd ever really seen. And we went into this draft with the extra picks, believing that this was a chance, you know, to swing for the fences, to try to find, you know, some big upside and what we would call aircraft carrier type talents. And so often when you're, you know, you have the one pick in the first round and you're trying to balance a draft, you know, some risk, some certainty, you know, this time we went for uh, what we thought was the the players that were best and, and most available to us at this stage were high upside, super athletic high school hitters. And, and we took a crack and, and I feel really good about what we were able to accomplish, you know, found a couple of fun college players to, to mix in, but I think we built what should start becoming the next wave. And it's a, uh, it's a really exciting group and we've never added this kind of athletic talent in one draft before at what least is, in my time here. What is the hit rate like now on high school players like that? Uh, pretty good. You know, the, the best high school hitters in the country, and, and we've nailed three or four of them in this draft, 
the best high school hitters in the country generally do, you know, go on to become major league players. And, and in some cases, you know, or many cases, they become the stars of major league baseball. Uh, we, tend to lean on younger players. You know, we drafted a pair of 18-year-olds and two 17-year-olds. Youth in this regard is really your friend. You know, the, the younger, talented players, a guy like Colt Emerson, who's 17, or Ty Pete, who's 17, Johnny Farmello, Aiden Smith, are both 18. You know, the, the young ones really project well because they're already among the best hitters in their class, and they're young for the class, which, you know, kind of generally – that it leads you to better outcomes over time. At least that's what the research will tell you. So we're really excited about this group when you add it to Cole Young from a year ago, Harry Ford. We, we are starting to build up a nice you know, pocket of players who, as they make their way towards Seattle, it's, it should get pretty, uh, pretty fun. And we get more athletic every day. What should we read into the fact that you were so uh, bat-heavy, especially early in the draft? Is that what was available to you? Was that part of the strategy? Does that speak to where your organization's at? What, what does that mean? Uh, it's a little bit of all that. You know, we did feel like the, the best players available to us when we were picking were bats and you know it, it's also from a strategic standpoint and i'm going to you know reference teddy mcgraw who we picked in the third round we do feel like our organization has done particularly well in in finding players like teddy and and others who we took in the, the latter half of day two uh of the draft and, and it was just a chance to to tap into high upside bat potential to add to a system, frankly, that right now is bat heavy. You know, we have our best prospects that haven't graduated to the big leagues are, are mostly hitters at this point. And, but we have a young foundation of pitching. We do very well with finding pitching in, in various places, sometimes later in the draft, sometimes trade, sometimes the waiver wire. And, you know, trusting what we do very well, but mostly taking the best players available to you because the baseball draft is a little different in that way. It's going to take these kids, you know, years to, to get to the big leagues and, and we have to be patient. Yeah, it's funny. I, I found myself thinking a little bit about that and thinking about some of the other conversations we've had about the ballpark and free agents and trying to get people to come here and some of the frustrations maybe last year at the winter meetings that the trade market didn't really develop the way uh, the way maybe you hoped it would and saying, well, is the best strategy then to make sure you're drafting bats and then finding other ways to acquire pitching? Is that part of how you look at it? exactly how we look at it and it's a it's a strategy that has evolved over time but if if our opportunity to tap into star quality offensive players is through the international free agent market like a julio rodriguez like a gabby gonzalez who's coming through our system right now michael arroyo there are a number of players who we've been able to to sign and develop through that avenue and and then you look at the draft and and some of the exciting players that we're able to to push through our system if if your aircraft carriers if your your impact offensive players start coming from your system and you trust your system to develop pitching in, in other and unique ways and it also helps that we have a foundation of pitchers who are in their mid-20s and we think they're already built out strong major leaguer future with with multiple star quality players in the lineup well speaking of aircraft carriers julio is obviously one of those and it was interesting watching him this week he was the story for so much of it as the biggest star in the hometown of the of the all-star game 
you know, it, it sure sounds like he's got a lot of responsibilities in addition to just going out and playing baseball. How, I know we've talked about it before, but how, how challenging is that for him? It's got to be challenging. I mean, I felt we were all exhausted. And I know, you know, Katie and Mandy Lincoln, you know, kudos to Mandy for what she did throughout the week. So many of the people that were building up the all-star experience for for a couple of years now had to be just fried when the, when the final pitch was thrown the other night. And Julio was right there among them. You know, it's serving as, you know, the, the effectively serving as a host, MLB's host for the, for the all-star game hitting in the home run contest, which by itself is an exhausting thing. And then, you know, having the big moment in the ninth inning with the, the crowd roaring, those are emotional moments to take a lot out of you. And, you know, and then going through all the glad handing, the parties, the, you know, family, every one of those players had family in to, to come see him. And that's its own stress. So um, I'm hoping that Julio has spent the last 48 hours just, sleeping and catching up on on uh you know slowing life down because he did carry a lot of the load what did you think of that last at bat he had where he walked i was thrilled <laughs> i wish he would have hit the homer you know it would have been the roy hobbs moment and the storybook you know event really the whole the whole week-long event but the fact that he had the maturity not to to leave his approach he stuck with it and and i for one was was particularly happy that he was mature enough just to pass the baton and you know it's 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 how we want to play baseball it's how we urge the guys to to react and the fact that in that moment and it probably helps that there's all stars all around you <laughs> he didn't feel the pressure i have to get this done even though the crowd was chanting his name and and he knew you know that the, the the, how big the moment was that this was, I mean, it could have been one of the, the, the three or four biggest moments in the history of the all-star game. Had he had a homer there, but it's, uh, it's taken the walk that really starts to build a foundation for us as a club, as opposed to you know that the popularity of the league. Yes. Yeah, it's nice having Jose Ramirez hitting after you like, well, <laughs> I mean, if I, if I take a walk, the next guy's pretty good. Hey, speaking of Julio, Scott said something uh, a week or so ago that I wanted to play for you. And it's not criticism. He said it after, uh, I think, a good game that Julio had. But it speaks to uh, maybe some of the struggles Julio's had this year and what he can do to get out of it. And I I was hoping maybe you could expand on this. This is what Scott said. I think this was July 3rd about Julio. Talk to players. You try to explain to players. You try to show them the numbers and the game and the video and everything else. There comes a time it has to be the want to. And uh, I thought he made some good adjustments today. He stayed in the middle of the field. Even the ball he pulled at the end for the RBI single, he's trying to go to right center field, so he's staying on that ball, and good things happen. So, again, uh, who is a very young player? He's going to have ups and downs. Um, he's had some struggles this year. Um, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I know teammates are trying to help him out, coach staff trying to help him out, and uh, you know, he needs to be open to those things because when he is, it's an electric player. It really is. Where is what does all that mean? I'm trying to interpret it as a radio host and understand what Scott's getting at. What do you hear there? No, I hear the same thing that we talk about internally fairly frequently, and not just about Julio, but about a lot of our young players. It's so easy to get caught up in this, and and when Julio's hitting in that home run contest, when Julio's coming up for the biggest at bat in the All Star game against a sellout crowd or with a sellout crowd in the home park. Sometimes it's hard to remember 
he's 22, you know, or he's, he's younger than some of the players we drafted over the course of those, those three days. And, and, and he's already one of the biggest stars or, or celebrities on the major league stage. And that's a lot of responsibility. And, and with it comes a, I got this type of, of, you know, feel, and it's been an up and down year for Julio with the bat. You know, he's always brought the defense. He's brought the base running every day. And, you know, I suspect he's spent a lot of his season trying to do too much to live up to a lot of those expectations that I just mentioned. It's, you know, so to, to be open to a suggestion from coaches, to be, you know, willing to get in the cage and talk through what you're feeling instead of feeling like I have to go get this done because – and then you run down a list of 10 responsibilities you feel like you have, not the least of which is the people expected of mm-hmm. you. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure to carry. And, and when Scott says that, that's what it reminds me of, because it's frequently what we're discussing is how do we take the onus off of Julio? We've talked about this for a couple of years with Jared Kelnick. How do we take the pressure off of him so that he can just go be who he is? And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we have a staff. That's why we coach. That's why we have resources. And, and, and hopefully that's why veteran teammates become so valuable to young guys. I was uh, I wrote about Julio last night, so maybe I'm just looking for some confirmation on what I wrote. But I, I, I was thinking about things that motivate athletes, money, you know, the, their teammates, all the things that athletes play for. And I'm sure the fans are on the list for a lot of athletes, but I'm wondering if that is a higher uh, calling for Julio than it is for most. He seems to just have such a a natural relationship and desire to play for the fans. I think you've heard me say this before, and I can say it about Julio, and I can also say it about most anyone who's ever you know walked out on a major league field. You love to show what you can do and you love when people adore you for doing it. And, you know, and Julio has that. He has that natural want to. He wants to get, he wants to generate a smile. He wants to make people say, wow. And, and, and he probably does want it a little bit more than the other guys. The, the, the best and the, the greatest players ever naturally do. And, and he does have such an easy way of interacting with people. And, you know, and you can see the joy with which he plays. You can see the, the talent that he has. And, and it jumps out, even if you're not a baseball fan and you're walking past a TV, you know, when Julio's hitting in the home run contest at Dodger Stadium or the first round of that home run contest on Monday, you can't help but stop and watch. There's an electricity to it, and and there's a natural draw, a magnetism that that he has, and and that exists between he and the fans that I think makes him a special player. And and he has the talent to to continue to draw uh, on 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 that well, I guess. And he can become so much uh, bigger than just a great baseball player because of how much he cares about the way he interacts with the community around him. I don't want to get you in any trouble. I know that you, you know, can only say so much about, you know, other players that don't play for your organization, but I'm sure you heard the crowd chanting, come to Seattle. What did you make of that? Who are they talking about? I, it's hard to say. I, I'm not going to. I won't answer that question. <laughs> they were just. It was at some point during the game. They were chanting, "Come to Seattle." Did you have a reaction when you heard it? I thought it was pretty cool, actually. And 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 again, just like we talked about with Julio, 
there's whether whether it's some form of adoration it's a it had to feel good if you were Shohei Otani to realize that you know a, a rival club you know that the fan base would react that way and you know it's uh he's a special player having a special year and I thought it was really cool that our fans showed him that type of adoration because you know it was clearly not you know it those were thoughts not being expressed by greater major league baseball fans who flew into Seattle. Those were Mariner fans and it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. And you know, they, they had different reactions to other rivals. So it's not like, you know, they welcomed all of their rivals to Seattle. It felt like there was some uh, vitriol reserved for certain other rivalries in the American league West. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that Kyle Tucker wasn't really here in the, the, the come to Seattle chance, but you know, all the same, another great player. But the, it was just a different feel. And and there's so many stories, you know, the underlying stories with, you know, what Shohei's doing right now. I'm, I'm kind of a modern-day Babe Ruth having the greatest year in his career, which is going, you know, tracking as one of the greatest years in baseball history, regardless of time and place. But, you know, to to appreciate that, to appreciate the young star in his home ballpark, to appreciate, you know, 30 some odd first time all-stars. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and I, you know, it's, it's a shame that it only happens, you know, once in, in a couple of generations that you get to host an all-star game, but this is going to be one just like 2001 where it, it's going to be a long time before, before people forget the event, which is, you know, that's, that's the idea. That's part of yeah. the, the mission. Maybe you can't answer this, and maybe the answer is so obvious I shouldn't even ask it, but should he become available, I assume you would want to acquire a player like Shohei Otani? There's a, I, I probably can't answer that directly, but to say that I think there are 29 teams that would be very interested in acquiring Shohei Otani. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's probably true. Uh, your team goes in to the break having won seven of nine games. It was nice to see them get hot and against a, you know some really good quality opponents. How does that change or affect your decision making as we get closer here, just a couple weeks away from the deadline? Uh, probably not greatly. We're we're still waiting to see where we end up in this thing. Our our plan and the way it has been for years has always been find ways to get better and. You know, we tend to think longer term than short. You know, even the, the Luis Castillo acquisition at the trade deadline last year, we weren't looking at it as this is the boost that gets us, you know, to the postseason. It's this is the boost that brings an ace to town, and we're going to see if we can lock him up for a while. So, you know, we'll continue to look at at the market, likely more players that, that have a chance to move forward with us than, than what you would call short term, you know, or rental types. And mostly trying to 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 build that foundation and continue to build something sustainable. Uh, that's always our plan. So that hasn't changed greatly. You know, we'll see what happens over the course of the next two weeks. You know, that that may change our position in the standings. But we we did a nice job of making ourselves relevant in the the playoff race in the second half. And you know, and we we made it challenging on ourselves through a lot of of April and, and into early May. But we've generally played better uh, in in recent months over the the aggregate. We have our ups and downs. We have our you know can't score the run with the bases loaded, nobody out moments. But generally, we've played better uh, over the course of the last you know few weeks, and very well over the course of the last ten days. So 
you know, excited to see where it goes. Maybe that was a turning point mm-hmm. for our club and we can start doing the things that we've always been capable of doing. Do you have a sense of what that turning point might have been? I mean, Brock and I talked a little bit about it. It came after a players only meeting. It came after the booing at home. We kind of talked about these fans and, you know, the way they, they, they let the team know what they felt of, about their performance in that Tampa Bay game. Do you have a sense as to what it may have been that, that that's turned the corner, or do you just shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, that's baseball. Sometimes you hit and you, you look a whole lot better. No, I actually think that, that all of those events you just described were exactly what, what created the turning point is, you know, players started to reflect players started to, to let loose on the, the stress that they were bottling up. And, you know, we've talked about it so much. It's a game you can't play tight. You, you can't play gripping the bat or gripping the ball any tighter. You know, it's, you have to be loose. And, and that's hard to do when, when, when you're struggling, when the fans are booing, when you're giving up a touchdown or two in, in consecutive games or you can't score that the big run at the critical moment. And, and our players – Leaving that Washington series and headed into the Tampa series during our last homestand, I think our players were embarrassed and they got to, we were embarrassed collectively and they got together. They spoke with one another. They didn't need help or guidance. And, and I think they, they found themselves in the struggle. And, and I think that's mostly the story of every good movie you've ever watched. That's all good <laughs> sports stories. It's, you know, over 162 game season, that's what you do is you, you're constantly going through the trials and the tribulations in the effort to find yourself. And, and I think we did. And, and we're certainly playing like it right now. And, and it's a, we're playing past the baton offense. Our pitching continues to, to drive our ship. The bullpen's been really good. And, you know, you, I can't ask for a lot more than what we got over those last 10 days. Again, putting us in a position to be relevant. And, and that's really all we could have asked for. It's pretty great. It was, uh, it was nice to have you on, uh, on a Thursday, not after a Wednesday loss. So, uh, I mean, I guess that wasn't really an option, but it was still good. And, uh, hopefully we'll get to keep doing it that way. We're a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline. So love this time of year and excited to see the team back out there tomorrow. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. You got it, Mike. Talk right. to you soon. There you go. There is Jerry Depoto, Mariners president of baseball operations, taking some time to uh, to join us as he does every Thursday at 830. And yeah, there's a lot in there and, and sort of a good sense as to where this team is going, why they are where they are and what they could be doing next. We'll come back here and discuss what we heard coming up on Brock and Salk. CL Sports on 710, CLSports.com.